And so today we're focusing on blended families, although I believe that there's going to be uh, some, uh, really the focus of my message today is actually universal, but I believe that it's even heightened a little more in the environment of a blended family. And so we're going to be talking about some of that today, but I want to... Um, before we get started, uh, get into the message. Every week I've been sharing with you, and we have a QR code, which if you can put that up on the screen for me, um, there are resources on a Google document. Um, and so you can scan this code. It's going to take you to a document. And we have resources for all four weeks. So there's books and websites and resources and podcasts and you name it. There's all kinds of stuff uh, available for every week. And so this document is going to be available. It's also on your church center app as well. And so you can go on there. And so uh, we're just kind of scratching the surface. I mean, in 45, 50 minutes... There's only so much I can communicate or anybody else for that matter. And, um, but we do want to put some tools in your hands. And so a couple that I want to highlight today though, um, and so one of these will actually be in the giveaway, uh, today as well. So there's two books. This one here will be in the basket that we're giving away today. It's called Blended Families. This is on that link. Uh, this is written by, uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans and Frank Martin. And, uh, it's a tremendous resource that I would encourage you to get. Um, and so you can get that one. And then this one here is called Blended and Redeemed. Uh, again, these are both available. You can get them Amazon. You can buy them all kinds of places. If you know what the Hoopla app is, like if you have one of those library cards, you can actually get these for free on there. Um, so if you don't know what that is, it's an app called Hoopla. There's several of them. But you get a library card and you go and register it and then you can download all kinds of resources that are absolutely free to you. And uh, so... But these would be a tremendous blessing. So those are on there as well. I'm going to hand these to you so that they're not in my way. Thank you, dear. And uh, so, uh, but uh, I, I hope and my prayer is, is that during um, this series is that you've been encouraged and challenged and strengthened in some ways uh, in your marriage and in your family. And so today, as I said, at the very, really the first part of my message, I really am going to be talking to those of you who are, are part of a blended family. And, um, and just so kind of right out the gate, you're not uh, unusual. You're actually the norm now. And we'll talk about some of that here in a minute. Um, and many of you are actually part of blended families and don't even realize it uh, because, you, you know, and I'll explain why here in a few minutes. But uh, I would encourage you, though, is that don't just tune me out because you say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Because I promise you the last two-thirds of this message absolutely will apply to every single person in the room and online today. And so we're so thankful that you've chosen to come and to be with us, whether you're here in the room or if you're online. So thankful that you're joining and with us today. And, uh, and so the title of my message today, if I was going to entitle this, it's called Culture Clash. Can anybody figure out where that comes from? How many of you know that when you, get, when you got married to your spouse, if, it, if this happened to be your dynamic, and it was just one in one, there was a clash of the titans of sorts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A few weeks ago, let me remind you, and you might remember the toothpaste conversation? There's a clash of cultures. Like, there's degrees of clean. And one person has one definition, and the other person probably has a different definition. You know, what is on time, right? It's subjective. I didn't know it was. I thought there was a clock that said that's the time, but apparently not, right? I mean, there are things, and there's a clash of cultures that happens when it's one-on-one, but what happens when it's one-on-four? What about when it's one and six, and, you know, or maybe it's two and four, there's a, 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 cra- a clash that is going to happen that can be of epic proportions. Why? Because you have two cultures that are coming together, right? 
And so that's why I'm entitling this a, a culture clash. And the thing is, is that we don't just bring into a, to a family just who we are. It's also what we've experienced. And that's what we're going to be talking about some today. And so I think this is important that we look at these things. And so, you know, I believe that, um, that there, especially when you're looking at, at bringing two entities, if you will, two family units together, there's lots of differences, right? I mean, discipline is different. Even chore, expectations are different. Like all these different things, like the expectations in school are different. Like everything is different. Very few things are actually the same. And so how do we navigate this in a way that actually produces a healthy, godly family? Because that's actually the goal. The goal is not to survive your kids until they're gone. The goal is to actually set them up for success in life and for y'all to still love each other even after they go. And that includes you and your spouse. And so this is important. And so uh, some of you, and Daniel mentioned this a minute ago, let me give you a couple of examples of what constitutes or what builds a blended family, what defines a blended family. Number one, which is one that I didn't think about at first, which was just the passing away of a spouse. You know, I mean, we have that, like me and Dara, her mother passed away when she was 17. Well, fast forward a number of years and her dad got remarried to a new lady. And guess what? There was a clash of cultures. And there were some things that I had tried to attempt to help her understand that, hey, this ain't your culture. I'll just give you an example. I told her I had been in the family for over 20 years at this point. And so there were some things that had happened one day that she was most perturbed by. And so I had to go in the kitchen and say, Miss Patty, can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, I know that you don't like this. And you think that you have your own opinions on that, and that's fine. But this is the dynamic of their family. And I've been in the family for 20 years, and I knew all of them before I was ever married into the family. I actually knew Dara's brother first before we ever started dating. I was like, I'm an outsider. And I'm as in as you can get. And so I wouldn't say the things that you want to say. And and why? I'm trying to help a culture clash before it, right? And so sometimes there has to be some uncomfortable conversations. Let me say another. Sometimes there just has to be some honest conversations. I mean, speaking the truth in love. Not being ugly. But, and, and so sometimes, though, is that it's not necessarily the product of a divorce necessarily. But, and, and really, here's the, the truth, is it doesn't matter how you got there. You're here. But a spouse can pass away. And somebody gets remarried and they already have children. And so now it becomes a blended family, right? Another one is just kids out of wedlock. Somebody has a baby and then they get married later in life. And now you have families that are coming together. Another one is obvious, probably the most obvious one would be the products of divorce. One spouse or both spouses have been divorced and now their families are coming together. And sometimes one of them, maybe it's the wife has kids or maybe the husband has kids, but the other one doesn't. And, and you know, but again, man, there's, there's a coming together. And here's the thing. We get to choose how we come together. We can't control anybody else. I don't know if you can control you, but I can't control me sometimes. Most of the times. <laughs> and I'm still trying to figure that out. So why in the world would I think I can control a group of people 
I can only can take care of myself, right? So here's another one. And this actually isn't even on the, in my notes. I just added it because I was like, man, that's true. What if your kids get married to somebody that has kids? So they're not your biological grandchildren. I actually have that in my family. My sister, one of my sisters, I have two nieces. One's 25, one's 17. They're from previous marriages. And so, uh, which she doesn't mind me telling you this because it is a beautiful story. She's actually in her third marriage. And they've adopted, they did foster to adopt of two little boys. Well, they're as much a part of our family today as the biologicals. And you want to know why that is? Because we don't treat them any differently. They're not like the stepchildren that came in late in life. No, it's our privilege to welcome them into our family. And so I actually thought about interviewing my sister and her husband. And I had the privilege of marrying them years ago. They had both been divorced. He hadn't had kids. She had the two girls. They got married for, and have been married for a number of years. And they're a blended family. And so this is all, I mean, and many of you if, you, if you really think about it, most of you have been affected by a blended family. So now let me ask you a question. Who do you think some of the most famous blended families are? Who was it? The Braves. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was How many bringing you know this song? three very lovely girls. Uh-huh. All of them had hair of gold. So if you don't know, I'll give you a little dialogue. Like this was a, a, a show that was actually produced in the 70s. It's and so it's the story of a lady with three girls, guy with three sons. And it's the story of them coming together, and they had a, 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 I don't know what you would call it, a maid, a house cleaner person. Her name was Alice. She was really the star of the show. uh, But this was actually produced in the 70s, which was actually taboo. Like, I'll give you some fun facts about the Brady Bunch. These are just random. But they actually never explained why in the show, in the history. It aired aired it for five years. They never explained why they were a blended family. So we don't know if the spouses died. We don't know if they divorced. Because none of that was acceptable to actually talk about in TV. You know, and, and so another fun fact. One of the guys kissed one girl one time on the show. It was the youngest of all three of the boys. There was never a toilet shown on the show. Uh, the parents stayed, or they actually had scenes of them sharing a bed, which was it wasn't as taboo anymore, but it was still kind of on the edge in many ways in that time. And, uh, and so if you're not aware, this is probably one of the most syndicated uh, shows, it, it, you know, that ever about a blended family. And so, uh, but there are a lot of things. And so let me give you some statistics here. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, my gosh, statistics. But let me just help you that you're more normal than you think is the statistics say that over 50% of families today are blended families. And these aren't extended blended families. These are in-the-home blended families. So more than 50%, which if you do the math, depending on what you look at, they say, you know, the divorce rate's somewhere between 40 and 55% of all marriages end in divorce. Well, if that's true, and even a majority of those people get remarried, you create blended families. And then you have people that never got married, but then they get married to somebody with children. And, and so, uh, so 50% of all families today are blended families. So you are more normal than you think. They also say, and the statistics are, that 70% of blended families will end up in divorce. Now, here's what I want you to know, is you have a 100% success rate if you'll do it God's way. But you got to do it God's way. 
And you may not be a blended family, and, and even by most ex- widely accepted norms, people would say that marriage fails at 50% of the time, but you have 100% success in marriage if you'll do it God's way. And that is the key. God, God implemented marriage. It was his idea, and our culture has done a great job of screwing it up. But when we do marriage God's way, it will actually work. And the same is true for your blended family. Why? Because you're going to need the wisdom and the help and the strength of the Holy Spirit to navigate the waters. Why? Because it's like you're a drifted sea with no map and no, and no paddle. Well, the Holy Spirit will give you a paddle and a map. And the same is true even, you know, for all of us. And we need this. And so this was something interesting that I came across. And there's a book called For Better or Worse. And it actually, and I don't know the full research behind this, but I, but I deal with people. So I would believe this to be an accurate, true um, number. Is that blended families are under three times the stress compared to a first marriage in the first couple of years. Three times the stress level in the early years of the marriage. Why? Because there's lots of pressure. And depending on the age and the season of your kids, man, it is packed, right? And there's just a lot going on. And so I want to share just a couple of nuggets, especially for those of you that are part of um, blended families today. And then we're going to get into the the bulk of what I really want to share with you today. These are just some little quick nuggets. Is that even from a biblical perspective, is that Jesus' father, Joseph, was not his biological father. So if you really want to be technical about it, Joseph raised Jesus as his stepson. Why? Because he, Joseph, did not know Eve in a sexual manner. Therefore, they could not have a baby. And the, even the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, that which is conceived of you is of the Lord. And so Joseph has to become kind of stepdad. And yet he, he is influential in his life. And, and so... He had to raise him as his own, as his own. And, and so I, I believe that even for us, and even for those of you who maybe have some children in your home that aren't your biological ones, I think you have to choose to take on the responsibility to selflessly love them. I mean, the, as Christians, we're called to selflessly love. Perfect love, right? Which means I don't let my, my opinions, I don't let my wants, I don't let my feelings get in the way of how I love you. I'm not saying that's easy, but it is a choice that we all have to make. And and so, but if if you're really going to, and and it's really regardless of how they act towards you. Again, you're not responsible because, let me say it this way. When you committed a vow to your spouse, you accepted those kids too. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be their BFF. It doesn't, I mean, maybe. My brother-in-law of my two older nieces has a phenomenal relationship with them. And they were teenagers. As a matter of fact, when he, when he asked my sister uh, to marry him, my nieces were jumping up and down excited, and they were teenagers. He already had a good relationship with them before they ever got married. It is possible. It will take some work, but you know, I, I think that there are some things that, that we need to look at. And so you have to take on that responsibility. You need to love them just like you would your own. Because guess what? They are yours. And I'm actually of the belief that, that you'll stand before the Lord and give account for how you raised those kids. You're welcome. <laughs> like, man, I could have gone all day without hearing that. 
So I think that, that that's a part. Another thing, and this is something that uh, Donna, who has worked here at the church for many years, she shared this because her, her and her husband, Jerry, Jerry's back there in the back, both of their sp- spouses had passed away, and so they, they have a blended family, you know, because he has his kids, she has her kids, they've got grandkids, they got, you know, just all kinds of folks, right? And, uh, but I remember something that me and Donna were talking about one day. We were just in the office just having a conversation, and she made this statement and it's just stuck with me. And I thought, man, what great wisdom is that? And she, her, her uh, first husband's name was Scott. And she said, you know, I let Jerry get away with stuff I would have never let Scott get away with. And she said, because I realized, number one, a lot of it was just petty stuff. It just didn't matter. And now that having lost my spouse, I realized the things I was griping about, I would have given up to have a few more days. And it doesn't really matter. You know, the devil, the devil loves it when we get petty. And if you're going to find pettiness, you're going to find it in a blended family. Why? Because we're going to start arguing and squabbling and fighting about things that don't matter. I mean, it's, it's hard enough in just a marriage, right? And, the, and let me just, I said this a couple weeks ago, is that the devil hates your marriage. He hates your family. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy I said it two weeks ago. He's after your kids. And that's not to put fear in you. It's actually to kind of put it in perspective is that you've got an enemy. So we need to take the fight seriously. And so, you know, and so even with what Donna had shared, this is the way I would say it is you need to choose wisely the hills that you're willing to die on. Not every fight is worth taking. And sometimes you just need to make a statement and walk away. And not to prove a point, but you can say what you need to say, but don't dig your heels in and say, well, this is where I'm going to die. Because you, you might be picking a fight that you're not willing to pay the price for. And that can be with your spouse. That can be with, your, uh, with uh, even uh, the other kids in your home. That can be with your own kids. That was one of the things that my parents learned with my older sisters. They dug their heels on, on something And she said, okay. And she dug her heels in. And they they had to learn, hey, not every hill is worth dying on. And you have to use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit to help you know when to step in and when to pull back a little bit. You're like, I don't even know if that's true. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians, it specifically talks to fathers and it says, don't be overly harsh with your children lest they resent you. You can be too heavy. And so there needs to be some really good communication between you and your spouse about how y'all going to handle these kids that y'all got. Why? Because the thing you don't want to do is to damage and to hurt them. And I know that's not the intent, but how many of you have been hurt by somebody that you know didn't intend to hurt you? It happens all the time. And so we need to use wisdom. And, and so uh, I want to give you an example. This was this is just a little nugget. These are kind of some little bullet points before I really get into some things. But on each side of our platform up here, we have some little signs. And as I, I was actually up here yesterday, just kind of finalizing some notes and putting my thoughts together, just kind of putting the, the bow on the message, if you will. And I was reminded about these signs over here. And this is what they read. It says, it's a privilege to stand on this stage. Lord, thank you for choosing me. And I had the thought, I don't even know. I mean, I just believe it was the Holy Spirit. And I was like, you know what? I should tell Dara that. And this would be good wisdom for you that have spouses in the room today. Is this, is that 
And you got to make sure you say this the right way. Because you can say it the wrong way. That it's a privilege to be your spouse. Thank you for choosing me. Because you can say, it's a privilege to be my spouse. I know none of y'all think that. (laughs) And why does that matter? And this is true in any relationship. Because what becomes common or normal gets taken for granted. And what you take for granted, you run the risk of losing. And so sometimes, I mean... I mean, last night, probably 11 o'clock last night, I walked into our room. Dara's there in the bed working on her computer. I walked in there and said, hey, I was going to tell you this earlier, and I forgot. I said, hey, it's a privilege to be your spouse. Thank you for choosing me. Why? Because it puts in me the reminder, she ain't got to be with me. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, especially in the pressures of a blended family. Like, hey, they had a life before you. And that's not to, like, make us feel bad, but I think we need some perspective sometimes. A few years ago, there was a couple that was here, and they interviewed as part of a marriage series, and they were part of a blended family. And they said, if we would have known how hard a blended family was, we would have worked harder on our first marriages. Because now we have to put the work in. And we realize the pain that it took to even get here. And look, and I know this couple, tremendous couple, godly people. And the thing is, is God will work right in the middle of where you are today. God is a master at redeeming nasty. He's a master at redeeming ugly. He really is. And God can do more with our mess and he can actually turn it into a miracle. And I know we say things like that in church sometimes, and we're like, oh, well, that just sounds beautiful. It sounds nice. No, there's actual truth here. Is that God really wants to work in the middle of our families and in the middle of our relationships. And so even the Bible says that the years that the enemy has stolen, that God will redeem, that word means to buy them back. What the enemy has intended for harm, God says, I'm going to work it about for your good. And so it doesn't matter how you got to where you are. You are here, so you need to let God work in here. And so this is important. And so this is just a little fun side note, another little nugget, is you need to put the fun back in dysfunctional. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Everybody like, oh, we a dysfunctional family. Well, make sure the fun is in the middle of the dysfunction. Life gets so busy. And man, we're just trying to, I mean, got this game, got this recital, got this thing at the school. We got work, we got bills, we got, we got all this stuff coming against us. Remember to have some fun. That's why you got a family. This is something that I'm very, in, trying to be very intentional about right now because my kids are still fairly younger for a little while. But I need to make some investments now so that I can have fun with them in 10 years too. That they want to be with me. So let me give you some themes. I'm not a game person, but my kids love them. Here lately, it's been go fish. Daddy, can we play go fish? I'm eating. Literally, food is in my mouth. Like, give me five minutes, you know. I mean, they've got some other. I mean, it's just, but you know what? But if I constantly say no, what does that say to them? And so especially if you're in the blended family and you happen to be the, which I don't even like this phrase, but the step-parent, You should say yes a lot more than you say no. When they invite you into their life, hey, can you pick me up? Absolutely. Hey, 
I'm sorry, I got to rearrange my schedule. This is more important. Hey, will you come to my game? Absolutely. I'll be there. Because that's where you garner trust. And even if they're like, "Mm, you showed up, whatever. (laughs) They notice. They got that recital. They got that thing. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Put life into them. Hey, I'm proud of you. You did such a great job. I mean, why? Because you're just making deposits, making deposits, making deposits, making deposits. So that when they get older and their heart gets broke, who are they going to come talk to? See, this is that life that we got to live. And so, um, so here's some other things. Don't just take a trip. Make some memories. I've been very... Vocal about this, I'm always trying to set land speed records. I ain't got time to do nothing. We got to get there. My wife has to remind me, we need to make some memories. We need to laugh, support, cry, forgive one another. Admit when we blow it. You got to remember, many of your kids are still questioning and they're still hurting. They're still wrestling with life and they're young and they don't have the context that maybe even you do. So give a lot of grace. And I understand you're under a lot of pressure. Go back and listen to the end of last week's message. We're going to talk about it some today. That's where you've got to go to Jesus. You've got to lay all of your cares, all of your weights. You've got to give it to him. Why? Because the Bible says he cares for you. You care for your babies. Jesus will care for you. So this is important. And so Proverbs 17, 22 says this, is that laughter is like good medicine. How do I heal my kid? Get them laughing. You're like, well, this is absurd. This is stupid. All they do is watch these stupid videos on their phone and go sit down with them. Some of them are funny and some of them are just dumb. Laugh anyways. Maybe even ask them, hey, why why is that funny? I don't know. That's probably what you're going to get. Just keep asking. And you never know some video. You might find it hysterical and all of a sudden there's... There's a little bit of a bond that's being created. A little bit of a bond, a little bit of a bond. It takes patience, right? You got to make your own traditions. It's not just your traditions, my traditions. Let's make some of our traditions. Like a blended family works when you come together. So it takes time, don't rush it. You're going to have to win those kids' hearts over just like you did their spouse. Or your spouse, the kids will be harder to win over. They just will be. So all you, your response is to love. Most likely, they're going to be hesitant, skeptical, and reluctant. I was reading something. It was an article that I was reading about this this week, and I thought it was really pretty funny. But it says, you can cook a step family slowly in a crock pot, or you cook a step family slowly in a crock pot, not forcibly in a blender. takes time. How many of you know food is better in a crock pot? Hallelujah. I don't want no pot roast out of the microwave. And I definitely don't want it out the blender. Hello. So this is important. And I know that we have terminology and verbiage in our culture about all of these things. And you hear things about the nuclear family and the broken family. And you have these labels. God will write a new label as long as you don't identify with what the world keeps telling you that you are. 
I said earlier, is that God is a master redeemer. He can take the, the biggest mess and make something beautiful out of it. He really can. But we have to invite him in and ask him to be a part. And we have to be obedient to what he says. See, many times I don't think that we actually have a problem with knowledge. I think we have an obedience problem. Like, I know what to do, but what but is there? That's another sermon. See, the truth is is that God will work in your family, but he'll start in you first if you will allow him. And that's a big if. You've got to be open. You want a better marriage? You want a better relationship with your kids? Let God start working in you. So many times we want to point the finger. You know, it's like the, old, the age old saying, if you point the finger, there's three more pointing back at you. Right? Like pray, God, how can I win my kid's heart? Maybe you're here today and, man, and the pressure of life. Maybe you're in a blended family. Man, just the pressures. It's, 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 okay, so how do I win back my spouse? We got married because we liked each other. It's kind of hard to remember today, but at one time we really liked each other. We wanted to be together and just the, the stress and the pressures are tearing us apart. So God, tell me how, how, how can I win them back? How can, I, how can I really tap into this relationship? And so now I really want to shift here in the next few moments that we have together. And this is universal truth. But I believe that this is even heightened inside of a blended family. And, and so I want to take the next few moments and I want to talk about what I believe is one of the largest hurdles in a blended family. But I believe it's also one of the biggest hurdles for every human being because we're all susceptible to these things and we all have these things. Like, well, what are you talking about? It's the area of an inner vow. And the enemy will use an inner vow to get the advantage over us all day long. You may have never heard this term, but let me define it for you. An inner vow is a promise that you've made to yourself in times of difficulty, turmoil, or pain. In other words, it's something that you believed in a moment, and I'll I'll give you a couple of these. Like, I'll never let somebody talk to me. Like, usually they start with, I'll never, by the way. And it's not a statement that you make, but it's a belief that you hold. I'll never let somebody talk to me like that. I'll never let somebody treat me like that again. I'll never be taken advantage of. Here's some more that aren't necessarily relationship. I'll never be poor Maybe you're a type A and very driven, or maybe you actually have an inner vow that says, I'll never be poor. No one will ever control me. These are all inner vows. And we make them when we're kids and teenagers and, right? And these are powerful. Because there's what you know and there's what you believe. And what you believe always takes precedent over what you know. Always. And we have inner vows. Why? Because we've all been hurt. We've all had moments. We've all had situations. We've all walked through some things. And so what an inner vow is, it's like a self-protect mode. It says, well, man, I wasn't protected, so now i got to watch out for numero uno, and i got to take care of me because nobody else is going to. Well, how many of you know that that's not a good way to get into a marriage? And here's the thing. If you're in a blended family, your kids have them too. I'll never let somebody replace my mom. I'll never let somebody replace my dad. You ain't my mama. I'm not trying to be 
but I do want to be here for you. And that's where love and compassion and understanding comes in. But see, we have to start with us. And so, and here's the thing about an inner vow. Anytime that we hold an inner vow, it's a place that we become irrational and unteachable, even to the Holy Spirit. If you ever respond in a way and people are like, where did that come from? You might need to do some evaluation. Like, I'll just give you an example. And I don't know, I mean, maybe it is an inner vow, but it's something that me and Dara have very much endeavored to do in our life is that we, we just always have determined really, and you know, because uh, an inner vow is just something taken too far. Like, you can have standards, but this isn't a standard. This is like way beyond that. This is a deep core belief. But one of the things for us, because we grew up in families that, a little volatile, the volume level, level was turned up a little bit. How about that? It was not a big deal for there to be yelling and screaming and maybe some throwing of things at times in our home. And so early on, even in our dating, and especially once we got married, we just said, that's not happening in our house. We're not going to act a fool. We're not going to lose our, we're not going to start screaming and yelling. We're not going to do that. And we just agreed. We don't want that in our home. We want our home to be a place of peace, and, and I don't want my kids to grow up in that. Because I can't tell you how many times I listen to my parents yell, and I wonder, like, are they going to get divorced? And my parents were church-going people. But it created a stress in me. But what happens is, is that you'll overreact. In that book, The Blended Families, Pastor Jimmy, which... I have professed my love of Dr. Pepper many times, so I don't have to go into this. But let me give you an example of this. There was a guy in his church who he grew up in a home that his mom was like, you can never have soda, ever. And so when he was a kid, he told his mom, he said, when I get older, I'm going to have a vending machine in the middle of my living room. (laughs) So they went over to this couple's house for dinner, and he said, I've never seen so much soda in my life in a house, just stacked up. And the wife told a story about one time they were at the grocery store and he starts loading the cart. And she said something like, hey, don't you think that's enough? And he blew up in the middle of the aisle. A completely irrational response. How many of you know it ain't about the soda? And there are areas of your life where you will have an irrational response. It's an improper, like, it's like boom. And it's like this explosion comes out. That's more than likely from an inner vow. That's a promise that you've made to yourself that I will never allow fill in the blank. And we've all got them. Let me say it another way. We all have them and Jesus needs to heal them. Because we'll never have a successful marriage or relationship with anybody. Forget marriage. You can have inner vows and they affect every relationship. It's the filter that everything processes through. And maybe it's not always external. Sometimes you internalize and you just get creepy quiet. I'm just not going to talk. It could sound like this. I'll talk to you when you get calm. Okay, so what you're trying to do is actually control through calm. Which is manipulation, which the Bible equates to witchcraft, by the way. 
might want to think about control. Either way, some people blow up for control and some people shut down for control. Both are unhealthy. And it wreaks havoc in your soul. That's the danger of inner vows. So they do. They, they produce these responses that are disproportionate to the moment. So why is an inner vow so bad? Because the truth is, if you're looking at me, you got them. So do I. That's why I say this is universal, but even in the context of a blended family, they can be even higher. Why? Because typically there's more damage, there's, there's more shrapnel in the past. There's more fallout in the past. And so where there's more pain, there's more vows. But why are they so bad? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus is speaking. This is part of his Sermon on the Mount. And he says, I say to you, do not make any vows. And he begins to list, not by heaven, not by the throne, not by this, not by that. And he goes on, he says, don't even say, and this is verse 37, I think 36 or 37, says, don't even say, by my head. He says, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just simply say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. He says, anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now you may say, man, you're going really far. But I'm really not, and let me explain why I'm not. Because when we make an inner vow to ourselves, we become God of that area of our life. It's actually an unsubmitted area of our life that Jesus does not have access to. It's, it's behind lock and key and the door is shut. You got it bolted multiple times. Like you got the deadbolt, you got the slide lock, you got the chain lock. I mean, it's like Fort Knox. You ain't getting in here. And I say that somewhat lightly, but it's very true. Any place that we have an inner vow, that's a place I've said no to Jesus. I don't want you. I don't want your influence. You are not Lord of that, of that because I have the key. So remember the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. When I have an inner vow, I become God. Here's the thing. We can't heal ourselves. But Jesus can and he wants to. The Bible calls him the great physician. He doesn't practice medicine. No disrespect to our medical community. He is the great physician because medicine can heal our body, but only Jesus can heal our soul. And that's something totally different. You can mend a broken arm. You can, you can mend all kinds of, but there's brokenness in our soul. And those inner vows are keeping those doors locked. And Jesus is standing at the door knocking. Standing at the door knocking. But we got to open the door. You got to remove your defenses. And if you're here today and and you're part of a a blended family, I'm telling you, as, as the husband, as the wife, as the mom, as the dad, you may be here and be a single parent. You got to drop your defenses. And you got to let Jesus come in and bring some healing because He alone can heal you. Look, I'm all for counseling. You may need to go talk to somebody, go talk to a Christian counselor. 
Don't go talk to some secular counselor. You're like, why? Because most of them are atheistic. They're going to give you self-help. You need to have somebody who's rooted and grounded in the word of God to be able to speak biblical truth. Why? Because they're going to give you things for your mind. The word of God penetrates what? Beyond the mind. It goes down to the soul and to the spirit. It divides the intents and the desires of our heart. It goes all the way down to our innermost thoughts. That's the word of God. And that's where we need healing to come. So the only way to overcome an inner vow is this, is we have to face it. Listen to me, one of the greatest lies we've ever been told is that time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. It might mask them, but they are still there. Look, many of us made inner vows when we were young teenagers or older kids that we're still living out to this day. And we might not even remember the moment that we made the vow. We may be totally oblivious to why we acted or do the things that we do, why we say the things that we've said, why we respond the way that we do. And it's rooted in things that happened to us as a kid. That's why, like, even part of our, our, our really, who we are as a church is we say, hey, we want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. That's what this is about. Find freedom from what? From all the hurt and the pain of your past. Why? Because Jesus is better than your past. He really is. He wants nothing from you, but he has something incredible for you. But you've got to open up that door. And you're like, man, that's scary. I hadn't opened that door in a long time. Man, I done sealed that joker shut. I done lost the key to it. Invite Jesus. He, he can come open it for you. He really can. So we have to face it. Here's the other thing is that we have to repent of them. Like, well, why I got to repent of it? Because it's sin. Having an inner vow is actually a sin. Jesus said, don't take a vow of any kind, even to myself. And if it's sin, then I need to repent of it. And what that word repent means to, to change my, my direction. But what it also means is to bring it under the lordship of Christ. Jesus, I'm not in charge of that room anymore. I give it to you. And I'm going to invite you to heal me. What the enemy has intended to harm me and limit me and to be destructive in my life, Jesus, I'm going to give it to you so that you can breathe life into that dead space. That's what, what God wants to do. So we need to, right, we got to face it. We got to own it. And look, most of the time we had nothing to do with the wound that was put in us. Repenting is not owning it. I don't mean it like that. Repenting is just acknowledging. It's there. I realize it. It's here. I feel it. We want to repent because what? I've become Lord in that area of my life. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any inner vow that we've made to ourselves. Maybe you, you may be aware. You may not be. But I want to make a statement. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Is don't let the promises of your past keep you from the potential of your future. Don't let the promises that you've made to yourself keep you from the potential of the future that God has for you. Because we've all made these promises. But these things will actually limit what God can and will do. And so I'm going to lead us all in a quick prayer. 
I've actually written it out because I wanted it to make, I typically don't do this, but I wrote it out. And so I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And so today, and I'm going to basically lead you through the prayer what I just told you to do. Because you can settle these things today. You really, you can. And I believe that God, who is so gracious and is so good, who wants to bring healing into your life, he wants to bring healing into your family. And again, I think this is probably one of the major issues and challenges and hurdles of any blended family. Why? Because you're coming into that relationship, not just two people. You're coming in with some vows that you have made to yourself. And so I want to lead you just in a short prayer. So I want you to get that in mind. Like I, I want to just take a moment here. And I want you to get a picture of, or, or at least a thought of what that promise is that you've made to yourself. That you're like, you know what? I, I've made myself Lord in this area of my life and I need to surrender this to Jesus. Yes, he's my savior, but now I, I need him to be Lord over every part of me. There's some parts of my life that I've reserved for myself that I've not given to him. And Jesus wants to come in and open up that door and he wants to bring life and healing and health into what the enemy has intended to harm you. And so, everybody got something in mind? I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. Don't just repeat the words. You need to put some faith in what you're saying. I almost put this on the screens just so, I don't know, I'm a visual person, but I didn't do it. But I can give it to you if you want it later. Would everyone just pray this and say, Dear uh, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned by making a vow to myself. I didn't realize that it was wrong. It was an attempt to ease my pain and to bring comfort. I now realize that I made myself Lord of that area of my life rather than turning to you. I renounce my vow and I break it. I ask you to forgive me and I receive your forgiveness. I break the power of this vow and all of its influence over my life in Jesus name amen would you guys just stick your hands out like this I want to just take a moment and just pray over you you say well why do I have to put my hands out you're just in a posture of receiving that's what this is all about so father God I thank you right now father I thank you for your anointing that's in this room your presence father that you never show up without a purpose But, Father, your your anointing always comes with an assignment. So, Father, I thank you for healing in this room, in these hearts, in these souls. Father, that which the enemy has intended to harm and to be destructive. Father, I thank you that you're bringing restoration life. That, Father, that, that the light of who you are, of your goodness, is just shining in our souls. Father, repairing the damage. All of the things that the enemy thought that he had gotten the upper hand in. Father, I thank you that you're moving and working right now in power and in your goodness and in demonstration. Father, I thank you that you love us way too much to leave us broken. And so, Father, we just open up our hearts to you and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you need to do in us is that we say yes to. 
And so, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your tender mercy and your kindness towards us. Father, that you're not upset with us. You're not mad at us. You're not holding a grudge against us. But, Father, you have nothing but goodness and grace and mercy. Your word says that your mercies are new every morning. That your grace pursues us every day of our life. That, Father, even in the midst of all of our mess-ups and all of our our screw-ups and all of our shortcomings, Father, we thank you that it doesn't move you a bit. But, Father, you have such love and compassion for us. And so, Father, we just receive of that today. And, Father, I thank you that you are the God who heals. Father, I just thank you for every family that's represented in this room, whether it's um, a married couple, whether it's a blended family, whether it's a, a single parent, whether even it could be grandparents raising babies. Father, I just thank you for just the ease of your grace. Father, we all carry so many burdens and so many weights. And Jesus told us in Matthew 11 to come unto him. Anytime that we're overburned, and he, he said that we would learn the rhythms of what it means to live under your grace, to live under your ability, to live under your help. And so, Father, I just thank you that you're doing a great and powerful work in us. Father, we can't do this life on our own. But, Father, we desperately need you to work in us. Father, I thank you for it right now in the name of